So we're continuing our series on the titles of Jesus tonight. Uh, tonight we actually come to a verse in Colossians, verse 1 and 18. But it's so rich that one little verse contains several titles that we will be unpacking over several sermons. So we cheated slightly and, and had a bit from Revelation that has the same kind of idea in it. But the verse from Colossians, those of you that are trying to follow along particularly to our series, Colossians 1 verse 18 says this. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So tonight we're going to dig into that title, The Beginning. We're going to try and unpack what it might mean and what it can tell us about the character of Jesus and how we can apply that to our lives. It's an interesting title because it doesn't really feel like a name, to me at least, or a title at all. Yet it's one that we are told Jesus calls himself, which is why we have that reading from Revelation. That marvellous vision of what it's going to be like on those last days when we see Jesus in all his glory and splendour. And he declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what does it mean to begin? There's a sense of new beginnings and a fresh start and excitement and anticipation and newness. Sometimes actually when you start something, there might be a trepidation or a nervousness. But today is the first day of Advent and we begin the preparation for Christmas. Some of us may have already begun. Some of us begin late on Christmas Eve, I suspect. In my house, I was woken up this morning because I was the one that knew where the advent calendars were. I hadn't got them out. And in my uh, my mistake that I made was that I'd mixed them in with the general Christmas presents, so I couldn't direct Miriam just to get them out herself. We had to to kind of uh, engineer the arrival of the advent calendars without the kind of giving away of the rest of the Christmas presents that I've already started to stash away. So there was that excitement, that first window, that first chocolate. It's not quite like that with Jesus, as we will discover, because he is the beginning. He was in the beginning. And Colossians 1 verse 17 tells us he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what does it mean, this title, the beginning? I'd like to offer you four thoughts, and here's a confession. Fellow creatures will sympathise Four apparently random and unconnected thoughts to me that I have uh, that have occurred to me as I've pondered on this this week. What it means that Jesus is the beginning, and I have jammed them slightly unsatisfactorily, it has to be said, into an acronym. <laughs> so you know the points are valid, the, the the letters maybe not so much, but you can abandon those if they bother you. So I've gone for time, right, and maybe that will become a pattern. Uh, The four letters of the word time match my four points just about. And the first one of those, the T, is for Trinity. Jesus is an integral part of the Trinity. He's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit who were together at creation. Psalm 102 says this, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
And this is an absolutely critical point that speaks to the identity of Jesus. It's been the source and the subject of many heresies for almost as long as the church existed. And those of you that don't know, my first degree, my dissertation was on medieval heresy. And we could maybe have that discussion later. I've edited this section down from its original length. But Jesus being present at the beginning is really, really important. He was there at that very first moment. He himself is the beginning. He himself, just like God, had no beginning. John 1.3 makes it clear, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in the history of the early church, this is a brief bit, I promise, church heresy and confusion were rife, and the church adopted creeds um, as a way of reinforcing the doctrine. And you can kind of track the heresies that were prevalent by the additions and the adaptations to the creeds. And the original Nicene Creed, which I'm not going to ask you to recite, has a really interesting little addition at the end, or interesting perhaps only to medieval historians, but nevertheless, bear with me. The, the original ending of that creed has this bit. Those who say there was a time when he was not, and that he was not before he was made, and that he was made out of nothing, or he is of another substance or essence, or that the Son of God is created or changeable or alterable, they are condemned by the holy and apostolic church. So obviously at the time, which was 325, this was a big deal. We seem to have got over it and moved on because it's been edited out of the version that we have now. That's the techie bit. But how much more amazing is it just to consider that before human time began, God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit existed eternally together and then decided together to begin to begin earth, life, humanity, everything that we see and we experience. I uh, recently downloaded the complete works of Narnia in an audiobook, which is a very delightful thing to have when you're not up to much else. And this week I've been listening to the magician's nephew as Aslan sings Narnia into creation. He was there before the beginning because he was in the beginning. Jesus is the beginning. He's an integral part of the Trinity, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, present together at creation. Any other understanding of who Jesus is makes him just one of many prophets rather than a unique Messiah, and it undermines his claim to divinity. It puts into question the value of what he did on the cross. Later in our series, we come to the title of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And no doubt we'll unpick this further then. But this stuff really matters. Understanding that God is both fully man and fully um, divine is critical to our Christian faith. And on this point, there is no room for compromise. So the T in time is for Trinity. The I is for integrity. Jesus is fundamental to all things. He's the beginning before all things. He's not an optional extra or an add-on, but the foundation. And this tells us something important about Jesus' character and how Jesus deals with us. And to explain this, I'm going to tell you a story, that some of you may have heard before, about the old bathroom in John's house. 
We used to live, as many of you know, in a Victorian semi in New Street. And the bathroom, as in all of those houses, was on, used to be on the ground floor at the back of the house, off the kitchen. And when the time came to replace the floor, John pulled up the original lino and discovered it had been essentially laid directly onto a patio. But worse than that, it also became apparent that the walls had been built directly onto the patio. There were no foundations. <laughs> this little lean-to was literally leaning to and not a lot else. So at that point, you're presented with two choices. Cover it up and carry on. <laughs> Just lay the new floor. <laughs> a work of an afternoon, easy-peasy job done. After all, it had clearly stood up for many decades. It would be fine for a few more years. Or the second choice, the proper job. The job that would require us to undertake a complicated task of digging out and installing fittings under an existing structure. That's a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of digging, a lot of cost, and surprisingly, a lot of concrete. And thankfully, John went for the proper job response. And I would suggest this is a literal and practical demonstration of integrity. And I don't know whether it was just to make himself feel better, but it's become a kind of a, a standard illustration in our house now of doing things properly. And it also tells us about how Jesus deals with stuff. For he is the beginning. He is the foundation of all things. He has to come first in our lives. For him, the cover it up and carry on <laughs> approach is never sufficient. He is one of new beginnings and fresh starts. But often that means taking us right back to basics, digging out um, new foundations, highlighting weaknesses, tackling inadequacies, and laying his own firm foundations. When God builds something in us and with us, we can expect him to do it right. Like the Israelites learned in the desert, sometimes that means that the journey is longer and more painful than we might first have hoped. But the results will be more perfect and more glorious than we could ever imagined. So we talked about the Trinity, we talked about integrity. This is the one I'm least happy with, this is the M, this is a real struggle. The point is that there has never been nothing. That there has always been Jesus. And to try and find an end to match that, I struggled. And in the end, I went for meaning, which is a bit rubbish, but forgive me. As a child, I struggled with this. And now, as an adult, I pity my poor mother. <laughs> because this was a question that used to bother me as I tried to go to sleep. What was there before the beginning? Just God, but how could that be? Where was he before he created the world? I'm not sure that even now, standing here, I have a satisfactory answer to that question. But I do know this, there has never been nothing. There's always been Jesus. And that gives us an immense cause for hope. There's always been Jesus. This fact stands against nihilism. It's the lie that there is no purpose or substance to our existence. We sang earlier that time bows the knee. And here's the key to understanding that mystery. Even time submits to God. We might be bound by time, but it is a uniquely mortal limitation and one that God is not subject to. 
The closer we get to God's eternal perspective, the more we see how irrelevant our hurrying and our busyness and our impatience are to how God achieves his plans. He can astound us by doing the most magnificent and impossible things in the blink of an eye, or baffle us by choosing to wait generations to complete what seems to us like the most simple of tasks. Scripture says this, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. But what does it mean for us that God is not constrained by time? I think if we understand this properly, it means liberty. There's a great trendiness at the moment for mindfulness, for living in the present. And this is response uh, to the truth that much anxiety and stress comes from dwelling in the past or living in fear of the future. However, to force ourselves to only live entirely in the now is uncomfortable for us because we've been created by a God who has set eternity in our hearts. And I would suggest that a more radical answer to dealing with these anxieties from the past and fear of the future than just denying them and living in the now by some force of will is to know the one who holds time and space in his hands, to experience a genuine forgiveness for the wrongs of the past and restoration from the past hurts, to know the one who holds your future in his hands and to know that he can be trusted. This brings genuine freedom in the now. Jesus is the beginning, and because of that, he's outside of time, and because of that, we can know meaning. There is it is purpose, there's hope, there's meaning. Trinity, integrity, meaning, and now experience. The experience of Jesus himself. Jesus never changes. There's nothing that he hasn't seen or experienced. There is nothing that he is unprepared for. The beautiful Psalm 139 sums this up perfectly, what it means for us. You hem me in before and behind, and you lay your hand upon me. Jesus is the beginning. He surrounds us completely. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He hems us in behind and before. There is nowhere that we can go that he hasn't already been. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. Jesus is unchanging. He can be trusted by us completely and we can know him through the stories in the Bible, the witness of generations of his faithful followers and through our own experience. There's no challenge that he hasn't won, no battle that he hasn't overcome. We know his record on saving the lost, on feeding the hungry, on raising the dead, on healing the sick, on banishing demons, releasing captives, giving strength to the weak, hope to the poor, and vision to the blind. We know that he is loyal, wise, and kind. We know that he is impatient for justice, angry with hypocrites, and intolerant of excuses. And we know that this Jesus, the beginning, one with God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we've thought about what it means that Jesus is the beginning. We've thought about the fact that he's an integral part of the Trinity, that he's fundamental to all things, that there's never been nothing, and that he never changes. But all these things mean nothing if we don't actually know him. And this is the greatest offer of all. The first letter of John is written to those who know him from the beginning. Isn't that the greatest claim of all, that we can know him from the beginning? 
There's something awesome in that claim, but for most of us, that's our ordinary experience. So if it is our ordinary experience, maybe we should just pause for a minute and reflect on quite how awesome that is. That this one who is the beginning, who was there before all time and space was called into being, the one who called time and space into being, is the one we call our friend and our saviour. We know this Jesus. He's not only the beginning, but he offers new beginnings to all of us. Many of you will have a story of how your, Jesus, how your journey with Jesus began. And maybe for some of you, that beginning is tonight. Maybe there's someone who sat here, or maybe it's the person who God has laid on your heart that you're going to begin to pray for. Maybe the person's testimony will begin with your name and the day you invited them to Alpha. Maybe you've journeyed part of your life with Jesus but feel like you've parted ways somehow as the years have passed by. But tonight, Jesus, the beginning, is offering you a fresh start and he longs for you to begin your journey again. The offer that Jesus makes to us in this moment is as valid as it was 2,000 years ago. And if tonight you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, it might have been this moment and you that he was thinking of as he died on the cross. The offer of Jesus makes to us is not dependent on anything we've done, but only on his own purpose and grace. It was by the perfect design of the Father that the Son was sent to restore the broken relationship between the human and the divine. His death was the only thing that could wipe clean all the wrong that we have done and allow us to be part of his family. And his resurrection from the death, dead was the only way that death and all the powers of darkness could be eternally defeated and allow us to live free from fear. And amazingly, we are told in 2 Timothy 1 that this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So if you're fearful of what the future holds, come tonight to the one who holds the future in his hands and lay those fears at his feet. In the reading from Revelation, we heard about Jesus in heaven and the vision of the throne. That's the throne that Jeremiah describes as exalted from the beginning and the place of our sanctuary. There is nothing to fear. Jesus is a safe place. 